0: This is Coda Radio, episode 463 for April 25th, 2022. Hello there, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Fighting a Cold,
1: Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, 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 and thank you, the Halls Corporation. I don't know, you the cough drops. They're the MVP this week of the show. MVP, because I did not have a voice this morning, and yet I'm packing my soldier tones by 3 o'clock. Impressive. Well done. Yeah, we were preparing for the worst, but, you know, then Elon bought Twitter, and so you said we have to do a show. We have to do a show, and also special thanks to coding. <laughs> because coding, I don't understand what the deal is, but... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, of course, Pink Elephant. Yes. Chris, Uh, the Pink Elephant wants you to know that Postgres is, in fact, the best database. Okay, good. I'm glad he's visiting. I, I was worried is he, he wouldn't visit. Yet? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's Janet's the Green Fairy coding the Pink Elephant. Yes.
0: I don't really want to talk about this Elon stuff, really, other than
1: I think we got to just- Wait, he didn't buy Twitter, though. I thought he backed out. No. Wait, what? Yep. Get out.
0: We're recording it on Monday, and so by the time people are listening to this, this will be, like, totally established- but as we're going on the air, there, there are reports that the deal has been
1: finalized. But he just said he was moving on. I woke up this morning, made my tea, and Elon was moving. He, he had a tweet. I'm moving on. I retweeted it. I think he should. Well, obviously, if you're right, he, he definitely did not move on.
0: As we go on the air right now, CNBC is reporting that Twitter has accepted Elon Musk's buyout deal. The Twitter board has accepted the billionaire's offer to buy social media company and take it private. The announcement ends a weeks-long saga of Musk trying to buy the company. The Twitter board tried to fend off the takeover but is now acquiescing. $54.20 per share, approximately $44 billion.
1: (laughs) Because you got to get the 420 reference.
0: Everybody's freaking out on Twitter because Elon Musk is being described as a free speech maximalist, right? An absolutist is what they're saying. But on the day that it became public, like back in April, that Elon was considering doing this, he was actually being interviewed by a TED Talk interviewer. And this came up and I I have a 40 second clip that I want to play where
1: Elon makes it clear that it's not just going to be like a absolute free speech. May May I interrupt for a second? So I think for some of our younger audience or folks who aren't so deep into this, he's buying it, but I'm assuming he's buying it and he's making it a private corporation again, right? You are Correct. Okay, so so what that means, and Chris, jump in if if I'm off base here. Jupiter Broadcasting and the Mad Butter Incruple Private. It means Chris and I basically can do whatever the f*** we want. No one can tell us anything. We don't have to report other than our taxes. You know, if we decide that the president of the company, for instance, needs a pink elephant statue... Then that's a business expense. We can we can do that, right? Legitimate. <laughs> that is, this is kind of why like we were got in trouble, right? Because Adam Newman was like, I'm totally gonna like, you know, watch the show. It's great. We crashed, but so Elon theoretically taking this private. I I kind of don't believe you, although I'm looking at the CNN page that says he did it. So I'm struggling. Yeah. I mean, I love this because you and I are a little different. I think it should be a free for all. I hate it because I just. Now I know we're going to be talking about Twitter for weeks and
0: I hate talking about Twitter. It's one of the reasons I stopped doing tech talk today is because so many of the damn stories were about Facebook and Twitter. And I'm like, I just could not. People
1: care getting less. drunk and tweeting.
0: Yeah, I could not care less. But it is interesting from like a free speech debate. I find that part absolutely fascinating. And it's it's interesting how everybody's already gone to 11. And I'll play a little bit of this clip. It's it's a it's a longer interview, which I'll link the entire interview in the show notes. It's Musk at a at a TED Talk 2022, almost a month ago. Here is sort of like, I think, one of the key takeaways from
1: this clip. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they're able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets. You know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be, should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind-the-scenes uh, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. Um, yeah.
0: but- Later in the interview, he also again states that it's free speech within the bounds of the law and then he also says that he feels like the algorithm should be open source like Linux where there are you know eyes on it and it's a community that updates it and things like that. And I, I think is a compelling idea is you could leave some of the auto moderation, the dialing down of people's tweets, but just be transparent about the behavior. That seems like a decent middle ground. And it doesn't sound like some sort of Free speech, absolutist worst case scenario that a lot of people are painting this, and I can't imagine either that he's really going to have much time after you know after the six months or nine months goes by. he's got a lot of go he's got a lot going on, his attention's going to fade. I don't think this is as big of a
1: deal as everybody's making it seem. I mean, can I ask the stupid question?: Yeah so Twitter's problem is that it's super influential with uh, three groups of people, right? journalists number one, yes, tech guys. And gas, of course, number two. Yep. And day traders? I don't even know what you call them. Day traders seems like a derogatory, but you know.
0: Just a newsy class, right? You have journalists in there. You have market reporters
1: in there, analysts. Exactly. But like, they're not making enough money for their size. Twitter as a corporation is a, I mean, this is not my original idea, but it's pretty clear to me that based on the reporting, they're kind of fat, like they're super bloated. Like, the best thing that could happen at Twitter is, like, vicious layoffs. I'm sorry, but if somebody sent us an email, you know, tech boss bro radio being pissed off. But you know what? Like, corporations don't exist to employ people. And Twitter, like, I'd fire half the moderation team. <laughs> I would let it be a free-for-all. What's wrong with it being a free-for-all? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, there are laws that say you can't incite harm. Right. If you follow the
0: law, then I, I kind of think not much other than... How do you solve the mob problem that can sometimes develop, right? It does seem like you' it's moderation there, tamping those things down to prevent that rapid fire mob creation
1: that happens. Maybe there's but something- the mob the mob is the lefty mob. When they say they need moderation, they mean against the right wing folks. Today, although, you know, you
0: know, give it twenty years, everything swings. You know, this country's constantly
1: twenty years, Twitter won't exist.
0: <laughs> Maybe it probably wouldn't be twenty either. Twitter
1: is not a functional business. That's my whole Problem with like all the pearl clutching on Twitter. It doesn't matter if you have a right winger, a left winger, a communist, a, a fascist, whatever. By the way, Elon Musk is not a fascist, and Bernie Sanders is not really a communist. I just want to say, right? Like the the language is just so overheated. Our our disagreements are. There are no more real communists in America that have any power, and there are no more real fascists that have any power. We've just moved the goalpost,
0: and we throw these labels around people to to essentially collapse them to a single variable.
1: Well, no, to silence them.
0: Well, because it's easy to disregard everything you say if I successfully label you as a communist, or I successfully label you as far right wing,
1: or a racist. Right? If you if you say some dude is racist, he now has to spend all his energy defeating the charge of racism.
0: Yeah, I have to say, in in whole, although this is not a firm position, I'm always kind of willing to like consider things, but. It seems to me that when we try to suppress information, especially now with the invention of the internet, it always seems to backfire and create the Streisand effect. And information that they want to suppress, like, I don't know, you know, anything, it could be something medical, it could be something political, it could be you know, something about a laptop, it could be something about a politician that wants to run for office. Anything that they try to suppress, it seems like it inevitably just catches wildfire, and now there's platforms specifically designed... To amplify the things that other platforms are trying to suppress. And they've created a market that can thrive when they suppress things now. And I'm not sure I've ever actually seen it successfully work. And it seems like the only thing I have seen work, and it is not a consistent process. It is not a clean process. It is not a 100% thing. But the only thing I have really seen work is self-education over time. Yes. It doesn't always work, but it's better than trying to hide information from people. In terms of results, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, but that would require like valuing all ideas equally, which we've decided can't be done because.
0: Well, we've decided some ideas are more dangerous than others. And that is what a society does. And I just don't think Twitter properly represents the dialogue is probably core of what you're saying here.
1: I think Twitter is shifted at least six or seven basis points left (laughs) than seriously than actual American culture. And we should leave this. No, I yeah, yeah, we should, but
0: I I can see what you're saying. Um, but yeah, we'll move on. We'll get into the show. It's just this is the kind of stuff that when somebody like Elon, who is a bajillionaire, comes in and just buys a massive tech platform. Sure,
1: Elon Mazeltov. Good work. Yeah. Well, this is what you get. This is what you get. Enjoy. Fire everybody. Can them. Get rid of the board. Just one more thing on this. The eunuchs of the tech world are the Twitter board. Seriously, they've got nothing. They don't use Twitter themselves. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> they don't have a f-ing thing. They don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to make money, apparently, because Twitter, with all its users, is wildly undervalued. This buyout wouldn't have been successful had they had money, right? They could have had other options. They would have had other. Or how about cojones? But I know that's a, that's not woke. You can't say cojones because that you know it's gendered. But I completely disagree with you. I think Twitter's problem is it focused too much on the culture stuff. And did not behave like a business. Facebook, evil motherfuckers over there are making dollar over dollar.
0: Dollar over dollar. Yeah.
1: Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast.
0: Wow. I know. Nev sent us 2,000 sats today and he said, so I would like to interject for a moment and comment that this podcast does not contain any mention of Gen 2 nor Emacs. As such... I publicly challenge the next person who sends some sats to Jupiter Broadcasting to install Gentoo Linux as a daily driver for a whole week. If they can prove it, I will directly send them 5,000 sats, and I will also match an additional 5,000 sats to Jupiter Broadcasting, giving them the right to declare this in their next boost challenge. So, Nev has thrown down, if you would like 5,000 free sats, you have to install Gentoo for a week, and then send us, I don't know, send us a boost with, a, with some screenshots and prove it. That's what do you, that's, I love this idea of people challenging themselves. Go
1: for it. I have flashbacks to the coding challenge with Wes, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> it does have that vibe. Gen 2 seems like a very unusual ask. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be a challenge if it wasn't challenging. You know what? I respect it. I haven't heard about Gen 2 in a long time, and you know what? Great.
0: Four score and seven boosts to go. All right, Jin for Matik writes in with a thousand sats three days ago. Hey guys, I just wanted to ask you about your thoughts about DNS on the blockchain. It seems like a new direction to be considered. Have you heard about Namecoin or unstoppable domains? These are completely independent of traditional DNS and ICANN. Brave and Opera browsers have recently natively integrated their resolution of these domain names. When Firefox and Chrome follow, you won't have to renew or pay for a domain for an entire year every year. What do you guys think about this? A lot of this crypto stuff is like a parallel universe, man. It's like a sidecar to the actual like financial system or storage system like IPFS. Or in this case, they've come up with their own DNS system that has coins based on it. I'm not a fan of it, but it is the concept. The idea is to decentralize the DNS system with blockchain and then update browsers to check that versus a DNS server.
1: No, no, that's, that's a horrific idea because your loading times would be like, Devastating.
0: You'd imagine have to have like a lot of heavy caching, which would basically be a DNS server.
1: Wouldn't the heavy caching just re- right, reproduce your ISPs, Dina? I don't I, I feel like that's like the worst thing ever. anybody I mean, email you're great, but that idea is bad.
0: Yeah, I think. Although I, I will admit I have not dug deep enough, so this is my first pass, but I mean why what about ICANN? Well, the idea is to get rid of them. Right. Just like is not the law, though. Right. But if you were to create the Internet today, would you centralize something as important like the name resolution to that group?
1: I, I certainly would because the FBI exists. Well, yeah. And they would force me to. Probably. Right? I, I, I don't understand. How could you even do this without like going directly to federal prison? OK,
0: what about this? What about like what if this whole like, you know. Trends around censorship and all of that continue and they're just there becomes like this growing alternative ecosystem of ways to browse the Internet that don't involve the traditional systems.
1: Well, I mean, organized crime has always existed and it will always exist. But are you asking me to put my small business on a criminal network? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to be very, a very compelling argument, is it? <laughs> Explain something to you about an agency that doesn't exist. Let's call it no such agency. They're real and invested in Capturing all your traffic and knowing who owns what sites. They they care a lot. So maybe bad idea. That's always the linchpin with a lot of these decentralized alternatives
0: is, is the interested parties, the quote unquote stakeholders that you are supplanting, are they going to allow this to happen?
1: Right. Are, are, they, are they armed federal agents who will take you on a boat 10 miles off the coast of New Jersey and shoot you in the back of the head and say, well, hey, listen, I killed them off. You know, he wasn't here. So,
0: And if your answer is, well, it's going to be a slow thing and inevitably they'll have no choice. Then my response to that is and that probably means you're looking at a revolution or you're looking at 15, 20 years before it gets adopted. Right. I mean, it's a v- that kind of thing is very, very slow.
1: Or they've had it for 10 years already. And you
0: or they've already got a guy. They got a guy in there already. That's like, you know, sabotaging or something.
1: And like they've done it before, they'll do it again.
0: That's what I would do if I were running an intelligence agency for the United States government. I would absolutely have like a Web3 crypto division and I'd just be having my guys. I'm not
1: convinced half the Web3 guys on Twitter aren't just straight up bots or spies. Spooks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, I got to tell you, this is sideways, but some of the stuff I keep getting in my email seems very NSA adjacent.
0: That's a little NSA adjacent. I like that. If you would like to send us a boost, go get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. Or there's apps out there like the Breeze Wallet, so you don't have to change your podcast app, and you can send us a boost from the Breeze Wallet. The way I do it is they have a podcasting section in that app. You add one feed, the one you want to boost. You just go in there and you know send us a boost. There's also things out there like Boost CLI. The whole idea here, and why I'm talking about this right now, is the value-for-value model is something that I think could be applied to not only podcasts, but also free software content. The value-for-value idea is, is that if you get value from a show or maybe an open source application, then you return value in some form. For most people, monetary value is probably the thing they have the most availability and time for. But value could be something that's also maybe your talent. Perhaps you're good at something and you contribute that back to the show. Maybe you got a great email or a take on something and you send that into the show or you give us a boost. Or, or maybe it's your time somehow. Maybe there's something that we need on the back end, like we have some website projects coming up this summer. That's a way you can contribute value that is not necessarily monetary. Or you share the podcast with someone. That's a way you can provide value that isn't necessarily your time or a talent or monetary. But the idea of value for value is that if you get value from this podcast, you give value back. That's why they're taking off, and people love doing the boost. You can try it with a new podcast app. But I could also see this model working for free software one day. If you get something like a great media player or a web app that helps you organize your home stuff, and it's something you really enjoy and you get a lot of value from, we could return that value to free software developers. So I think the value for value model is not something that only applies to content. I think it could apply to software. And where I think the boosts fit in is the lightning network is a payment network. It's a peer to peer payment network. That's what it is. It's allows you to send value across a peer to peer network directly without a middleman. And That is something that we haven't had before. We haven't had the ability to take value and send it to anyone, and they can receive it on their end and convert it to their local currency. In the past, we've had to use things like PayPal or a wire transfer or an ACH transfer, if that's possible. It's been really complicated, and it's been a huge barrier for free software developers. It's early days, but if people like us don't try this stuff, if we don't push these things, if we don't drive over the potholes, who will? Somebody has to. We have to be the early adopters on some of this. So there's the pitch. That's why we talk about the boosts, and we'd love to have you join us. You can also send us an email. Those are also valuable. Coder.show slash contact. And a guy named Ryan wrote in, and he says, I've tried sending a boost, but uh, it said that the podcast wasn't part of the Lightning Network. I'm using the Coder QA feed if that makes a difference. And it does, Ryan. Our member feeds do not support boosts at the moment because our membership provider doesn't integrate the podcasting 2.0 spec. It's a whole bunch of other various RSS feed items. It's, you know, you use a service, you use a platform. Sometimes it has limitations, right? I mean, that's a downside, but they also manage all of the user accounts, the processing, all of that, you know? So that's the upside. Something we're thinking about, though. And he says, I was wondering if you guys could follow up on your VR office experience. You had me all hot and bothered
1: about getting an Oculus a couple of weeks ago, but it seems like maybe your interest has waned. Keep up the great work. Uh, I keep hitting edge cases, but maybe you should go first because I'm going to be a negative, Nancy.
0: No, I mean, I don't have a super positive take. I don't use the Office thing as much now just because the resolution isn't quite there on a $300 headset. However, I have been enjoying it for video content and for games, but I just haven't had a lot of time. So it's still holding up in that regard. And I think what it's proved out to me and and kind of where I've tapped the brakes a little bit is I like some of the concepts here. The hardware needs to be another generation. And I don't, I don't get full value out of this thing until there's a network effect. Like the day you and I are sitting in a VR room doing this show, game changer. Or if Wes gets one, right? But I don't want to ask all of my friends to go get something connected to meta. And so I've tapped the the brakes and I'm waiting for other hardware solutions to come along and the resolutions to get a little bit better. But in terms of casual content consumption and some video games are just... They're like no other experience So the Star Wars games that I've played so far are like nothing else I've ever done. And so when I get like 45 minutes to game, I've been grabbing the Oculus and not the Switch recently, but I have not been using it for work much.
1: So can I tell you and, you know, 10,000 of our best friends? Yeah. I tried the office thing, and I in the next ninety days will be opening a new location for the Matabotter. <laughs> Virtual office, no go. <laughs> no go. Yes. Yeah, so, yay! If you're a landlord in the Tampa area and would like to lease me some derelict factory or something, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, it 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 did not work for many of the reasons you stated. Mostly resolution. People started complaining about motion sickness. Mm, yeah, I can see that for some people. Yeah, you know, I know I was a big proponent of remote work. I have to say, it's not the best. It's it's difficult to mentor junior employees in a remote environment. No doubt. So yeah, we're uh, we're going back, Uncle Tim style.
0: I I don't disagree. I, I I definitely notice every time any of the JB crews together, we get so much more done together than we do when we're apart. Yeah, I. <sighs> I could see the resolution getting better for the screen, because really, where the where the resolution gets me is the text. the The screens I bring into the virtual workspace,
1: Wait, VS Code looks like garbage. Right? That's yeah.
0: And it's tricky when you now got high display, you know, nice monitors. They're pretty common, and so you're putting on the Oculus, and it, and you're like, you're going back, <laughs> you're going way back in terms of like screen resolution. Now you can make those suckers huge. You could make them like two hundred, you know, inch screens or whatever, because you're in a virtual environment. That's all fun. But as far as the, uh, the, the text readability, it's pretty pretty bad unless you make it huge like that. However, now several, what, a couple of months into it, I'm still very impressed by the polish of the Oculus software and the entire user experience, the setting your boundaries, this app store experience, the, the, just the general interface, the little lounge area that they put you in is beautiful. Everybody that I've had tried out has always been very impressed. But I suppose all in all, My experience with the Oculus has made me realize that when another device comes out, perhaps by a different vendor, I'll probably jump in and I'll get it. Angel writes in, hi coders, I graduated from a computer engineering school, I guess, a year ago. I feel like I'm ready to move away from the usual support jobs I've been in for the last few years. I'd like a programming entry level job. Do you have any advice on actually searching for jobs? Any actual job boards you recommend or tips, recruiting agencies? Should I steer away from those, use them? What are your thoughts? Do you have any hot tips for people looking for work?
1: I do. I do, actually. So uh, recruiters are um mm, pimps, so I would stay away from them. So this is hard, right? So, you know, there is a, a meeting of the minds that can happen. There are many small businesses that want to hire you, but they don't have the resources and reach to be at the top of, let's say, ZipRecruiter recruiter Indeed. You ever notice on ZipRecruiter, like the junior developer job, the salary range is like 60 grand. Like it's it's crazy. Do you know why? Because there's hundreds of little businesses that pay 50, whatever, you know, 50, 55, 60. And there's like a Microsoft campus in Tampa that pays 115. But you have to have gone to MIT. So maybe try to find your local small business that it preferably, like honestly, if somebody right now wrote into the mad bottom, was like, I'm local. I want a job, you know, I'll come into the office, give me a shot. I would probably hire them. We we just went through a pretty rough period. A lot of that was due to remote stuff. It's not easy for a small business to hire, retain, and manage remote employees. Maybe that's my hot take. I know that's an unpopular opinion. No, I think
0: you're probably right because generally it requires an employee success team.
1: Right. And when they're remote, you have to like do more
0: and offer more op- opportunities to connect hold a virtual get together you know on Fridays or something like that yeah so I-, I think my my advice would be similar is check around in your local businesses think about the ki- kind of business size that would be required to support the wage you need and then go do some door knocking it won't be the only strategy but i think it's one to employ i found that myself when i was in it contracting right here in the little town that i have the studio now i just picked up a couple of clients by, uh, you know, kind of looking at, okay, this doctor's office is probably, you know, they're this big of a building, they have about this many clients, they can probably afford somebody. So I go and knock on their door and sure enough, I got the job. So sometimes there is, uh, there is just sort of a, you know, go knock on doors approach you can take while also, also taking advantage of things like real job boards and stuff. But if you have recommendations for job boards that have worked for you or things like that, send us a boost and uh, let us know or go to coder.show slash contact. I'm pretty excited though. I have a bit of an announcement. I got a new thing that I launched. He's pregnant. (laughs) I'm working on it. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I I, I already birthed it. It's called Office Hours. OfficeHours.hair. That's my new baby. It is a show for the Jupiter broadcasting community. We're going to be talking about projects this coming up episode. We'll be talking about things that are going on in the podcasting industry. It'll be an outlet for me to get that all out of my system, be taking in feedback, responding to questions. It's essentially the office come into my office. I'll have a mumble room open on Tuesdays, every other Tuesday. Uh, if you're listening to this, that Tuesday just happened. It'll be available for download at officehours.hair. And it's out! We have two episodes out already. The third one's being recorded as we, as you and I are talking tomorrow. But as people are listening in the download, it'll have been yesterday. It'll probably be out in the feed soon. And If you get the all shows, all shows feed, you always get all those goodies. Officehours.hair. <laughs> Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. And it's fast. It's what I've used to deploy everything in the cloud for the last couple years. Really, it's just the best. And now that they've been rolling out MVME storage, my rigs have gotten even faster. I didn't even realize some of my rigs were getting upgraded. And if you have any kind of application that benefits from high IOPS, you know, good disk throughput... NVMe is a game changer for those applications. In particular, like your databases, anything that's kind of transactional like that, they can operate much more efficiently with a faster NVMe storage. And Linode's got it going, right? And there's, there's systems there that are perfect for like a budget system. Maybe you just have a small website. Maybe it's a status page or a portfolio. You can get something like $5 a month. It's still got SSD hard drives. It's still got a 40 gigabit connection to the internet. They've got 11 data centers for you to choose from. And if you're a performance hound, it just scales up. I recently deployed a system with 48 CPU cores and 96 gigabytes of RAM. (laughs) It's awesome. And they've been doing this for like 19 years. So they've really refined this product. It wasn't like a throw spaghetti at the wall kind of company. They started doing this stuff because they were passionate about Linux and the new virtualization capabilities coming to Linux nearly 20 years ago. They saw where that was going. And they built an incredible company on top of that. And now they just have the best cloud for developers and they back it all up with the best support in the business. And I love being able to say that. It matters that I can say that. And that's why they're willing to give you $100 so you can see it for yourself. And it's a great chance to build something, learn something, and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. Go get that $100 for 60 days on that new account and you support the show. It's Linode.com slash coder. GitLab is kicking off all free accounts with more than five users starting June 22nd, 2022. It does not apply to their paid SaaS and self managed subscriptions, community programs like GitLab for education or GitLab for startups or GitLab for open source. But if you're just a boring old user with a free plan, then uh, they're kicking you off if you've got more than five users. They're spinning this as an opportunity for GitLab to improve the SaaS efficiency of their offering. And they say they are introducing a five-user limit per namespace on GitLab for the
1: free tier. Is this heresy? The audience is pretty upset. I mean, life is complicated, right? GitLab needs to make more money on their free tier, and they're not. So that's why they're doing it. At least they're not lying. I mean, they
0: seem pretty clear about it.
1: I think it would be unfair to them if we didn't mention that their main competitor, GitHub, now no longer has to give a shit about their balance sheet because it's owned by Microsoft.
0: Yeah, it's tricky, huh?
1: So I don't really blame GitLab for this, but I do worry about the future of GitLab. Microsoft is in this weird place where they're such a big private uh, public company, rather that they don't really need to make money.
0: They basically take rent from so many places.
1: Right. GitHub is effectively a loss leader for Azure. So I'm not sure what to say here, other than I'm super happy that GitLab is open source and I can run it.
0: I mean, I'm just saying linode.com slash coder, they got a one-click GitLab deployment. Right. Yeah. This is the thing, though, and I don't know how we got here, Mike. And I know you and I have hit our heads against this, but how the hell did we get to a point where people expect something like GitLab to just be infinitely free like this. And they're, let's, the people that are upset, they're using GitLab for their work, man. They're using GitLab for production stuff, but they're not paying for it. Like, how did we get to this point that people are upset that the thing that they should be paying for is now the, the deal has changed a little bit. And like, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm using a service for my business and I'm not paying for it, that's alarming to me. I'm concerned when I'm not paying for something, right? That's like a red flag for me.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. I mean, I just want to take you back in time 10 years ago. Yes, we were doing the show over 10 years ago. The idea that like high quality spreadsheet software was free. Right. Like people used to pay Corel and Microsoft and other companies for a spreadsheet or for a document editor. Yeah. And Google decided, no, that's free. And Microsoft has frankly made it effectively free. Do you remember star office? That was a radical idea. And then op- open office came from star. Oh yeah, open Oh yeah, that's way back. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, software has been commoditized aggressively. And this is also one of the reasons why I think you and I have said more and more, if it's critical to your business
0: and you can do it self it. consider self-hosting. Now, it's not always the option because you you got to have some expertise, you got to maintain it, it takes time. So, you're trading off paying somebody to do that for you versus hosting it yourself. But ultimately, you also kind of have that insurance policy that they can't rug pull you. That thing that you've built is going to run. Even if your provider shuts down, you could move it to another provider. It's portable like that. It's not under their control. And, you know, sometimes that's the peace of mind you need for these sort of things.
1: You know, can, can I make an ironly ball statement here? Yeah. Best thing I ever did was have the server facility in Plant City, Florida. We host everything. And there's cloud backups or whatever. But you know what? I'm a heavy GitLab user. Right. My whole business effectively runs on GitLab and Trello and Slack, I guess. But we can bitch about the Slack updates another time because, ugh. It's like they write code to make it worse. (laughs) It's almost as if their enemies were writing the code for them. Like, ah, we'll slow it down and your notifications won't make sense. Maybe they use an autopilot. No, you know what I think they're doing, to be honest with you? I think they're so focused on mobile that they're just messing up the Mac client.
0: I, I could see that. You know, I was thinking this morning, I think probably because of this GitLab story as I was setting up, the primary tooling I use here at the studio in, in the actual physical studio part, but also the little server setup that we have here, none of it's really changed since 2018, early 2019. I mean, we've updated it, you know, kept the software up to date. But because everything here is local and self-hosted, I have never had my tooling this static before. Like just the core tooling I use to produce the shows has not changed for like three years or something like that. That is really rare for me. And I know that if all of this was like cloud apps that I was loading in web pages, that would not be the case. Like the only thing we struggle with ever when we're recording are the web apps that we inevitably use to connect to each other. And I think a big part, it's because we decided to build that infrastructure and host it and run it here. And so we say when it changes
1: Right, but are we being a little tough on the audience cuz you know we say we built the infrastructure but it wasn't easy right it's like a spectrum right because the stuff that is
0: audience facing that's all up on Linode so it's like we've sort of taken this sort of hybrid approach of some of our stuff is we self host that and some of our stuff we either self hosted on Linode or like in the case of our membership system that's a service and it kind of it's sort kind of like each time I I weigh the pros and cons for that individual function. And so we kind of, yeah, we have a balance. But when it comes to like just the core job of recording and producing these shows, that tooling has been rock solid. It hasn't had to change. That's been nice because that's the core of the business.
1: I'm obviously doing the
0: same thing, so. tailscale.com slash Coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. And of course, you support the show. Tailscale is a next level zero config VPN. It installs on any device you've got in minutes. It'll help you work with your firewall rules. It'll work behind a double NAT. It'll let your devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption, building you a flat mesh network with the best VPN security in the business. I started using Tailscale to keep all of my family's computers connected. I started with my son's computer, then I put it on my daughter's computers and just kind of put it on my wife's machine and my own and just kind of grew it from there. But then I quickly realized it was a game changer for my work and I do not say that lightly this is like adding sync services or using git like it's a whole new level of tooling that has improved the way I work and now I can get so much more done on my phone on my iPad on my Raspberry Pis on my servers they're all part of this flat wire guard protected mesh network it's just fantastic and it makes it so quick to pop onto a web app or a dashboard or check something that's secure behind our firewall just get the job done on the go. And when I'm traveling, it was a lifesaver. You guys know that I mentioned that while I was traveling. It totally opened up a whole new way for me to work. So go try it out for free for up to 20 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. One of the best parts is that every device on that network gets a stable IP. And if you put a DNS server in that network, you get magic DNS capabilities as well. But the nice thing is I've now built out a list of bookmarks that are just my tailscale addresses for things. And I just, from whatever machine I'm at now, I use the same IP to get to everything on the machines I've chose to set it up on. And I love that Tailscale supports my single sign-on provider with its two-factor authentication. So you can easily enforce multi-factor authentication for your users, and you can deauthorize employees or friends when you need to. I love the ACL support as well. It's letting Wes and I try out some super cool stuff with our different Tailscale networks. I use it every single day, and I know it's going to be a game changer, and you're going to be impressed at how fast you can get it set up. So go get started today for yourself and for up to 20 machines for free by visiting tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. All right, Apple and Google are cleaning house. Devs are pissed and sad all over the socials. Prop Top Games wrote, I feel sick. Apple just sent me an email saying they're removing my free game because it's more than two years old. It's part of their app improvement system, but this is just not cool. Console games from 2000 are still available for sale. This is unfair barrier to indie developers. And then he adds, I'm sitting here on a Friday night, working myself to the bone after my day job, trying my best to scrape a living together for my indie game, trying to keep up with Apple and Google and Unity and Xcode and macOS changes that happen so fast my head spins while performing worse on older devices. Google. On November 1st, we'll remove all apps that do not meet a certain API level within two years of the latest major Android OS release. Google says it'll place limits on which users are able to discover or install them if they don't update their apps. So both Apple and Google, right around the same time again, it's just so funny how that keeps happening, have laid out new policies about their app store and they've begun enforcing them. We've known about this for a little bit, but the reactions are... um kind of interesting and essentially some developers are saying there's no reason for me to update my app i haven't needed to update my app in the last two years it works just fine why should i have to update my app and they're pissed about it
1: yeah it's it's tough i mean i i understand that you know the app stores want to keep their their catalog clean but in particular the google case seems really rough to me because a lot of people are using a lot of old Google APIs, and that's—if you have ever done Android development—that's kind of the way it goes.
0: Have you seen most people in the real world Android phones? <laughs> most of them are,
1: yeah, way old. I know. I know this was an Apple story, but I find the Google position to be a little more aggressive. Well, frankly, tone deaf to what the developers are doing, right? Like what reality looks like. So,
0: you know, my hot take on this was. The Google one is harder, right? Because if you got to update your app to use a new set of APIs, that is going to take legitimate work depending on your app. But for the Apple one, and people were chiming in on this Protopop guy's uh, Twitter feed, for the Apple one, you could just kind of, you know, do a new build. And in the change log, just say updates and bug fixes. And Apple accepts it. And then your app has been technically updated in the last two years, and it doesn't get pulled from the app store. Other people in the thread also said, hey, by the way, bro, like the energy usage of your app is kind of like redonkulous. You know, if you just did a couple of small updates, you could really cut the energy usage down. That kind of stuff was in the thread as well. But he just looks at it as, you know, it works good enough. People are happy with it. Customers aren't complaining. And now I got to update all this software because this guy hasn't updated anything probably in the last two years either. (laughs) Sounds like based on the fact that he's bitching about Unity, Xcode and Mac OS all all having to get updated. I mean, I get it, right? But, like, at the same time, I don't. You're the one that chose to, to get in the App Store game. This is sort of that racket. And, you, you know, like, you got to play that game. And you can't have it both ways. So I do understand, and I definitely appreciate that it sucks when you're busy. At the same time, I'm just sitting here going, like, well, then maybe don't get in the App Store, bro. Maybe you should have made it, like, a WebGL app or something. I don't know. I hate it. But it's sort of, that's the reality of that store. It's It's like... If you don't like Walmart, you don't sell your product at Walmart. And it means you miss out on a huge audience, and that sucks. But that's already been the reality of the commercial market for a long time. The Google one is trickier, but maybe more defensible in some ways, I think. Because updating those APIs is probably necessary, where the Apple one's just sort of checking a box. So at least the Google one's actually producing results. Well, you know what? I appreciate you doing a show when you're not feeling well. That's
1: all right. I love it.
0: Join us live, jblive.tv. We do, sh- do this here show on Monday, sick or healthy most weeks, vacation or not. Vacation. Uh, holiday. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, no, right. Really, come on.
1: Listen, I'm getting married in October. I'm going to have a honeymoon play-by-play. <laughs> oh, that's right. Take co- us on the honeymoon. Co- coderly, coderly subscribers only.
0: Yeah, I love
1: it. 18 or older, please. Yes.
0: And congratulations, of course, too. Uh, yeah, if you would like to become a member, coderqa.co. You get the coderly report, you get the show with no ads, you support the show, and uh, you can also support all the shows and become a network member at jupiter.party. You can send us a boost as well by getting a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. At Dominuco on Twitter for Mike, we'll have a link in the show notes. Anywhere else you want to send people?
1: Alice.dev. I like it. I'll ding that too. I got the dings in me today. War story next week. Oh, how did we miss that? Because I literally fell asleep on the air, but it's fine.
0: And it's Elon. It's Elon's fault.
1: Elon Elon just, like, wrecks me. Yeah.
0: Well, the good news is there's no chance we'll be talking about Twitter and Elon next week. No no. chance. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The show's on the Twitter, too, if you want, at Radio Show. but we prefer to hear from you at the contact page, Coder.show slash contact. Links to what we talked about today are Coder.show slash 463. You can also find our RSS feed over there. Maybe send it to a friend share the show with somebody who would enjoy it we always appreciate that and last but not least you can hang out with us live and help title the show and shot back at us coders recorded live on mondays at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern at jblive.tv thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the coder radio program and we'll see you right back here next week